Hello and welcome to the Hacked Off Podcast. In today's episode, I've got Natasha with me. Natasha, what do you do for a living? I'm a producer for DTX Europe, which people might know better as IP Expo. What is a producer? We make the show. So I kind of put it all together. I figure out what areas we're going to cover, what stages we need to have, which speakers are going to be on. And I try to make it all come together, actually leave people with something good from attending some good content. I think this is one of the things with events where when I go to events, especially like in-person events, my first view is everything's set up, everything looks good, the lights are on, <laughs> all of the branding's everywhere. And I presume you're involved an awful lot with the room before it looks like that, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, we have a complete ops team who are just absolute heroes. I don't know how they put it together, but they have that type of brain where they can see it on a floor plan app and then it just builds in front of them. And <laughs> my brain doesn't work that way. I'm constantly impressed. But yeah, it is, it's a funny thing to watch an event go from just an Excel spreadsheet between you and your other producers to an actual real life thing where people are walking around and they're in your sessions and the topics you've thought, oh, this could be cool, are actually like a really fun debate or discussion. It's, yeah, it's kind of a mind meld when you see it come together. So how long does it take for one of the major events to go from an idea or it's due to the first day of the event? It is quite a long cycle. You're looking at around 20 weeks. So about 12 weeks before an event is when the emails go out. You start seeing us crop up in your inbox. We're on social. We're like, please come. Mark the diary. You've got to be there. Um, but my job starts quite a bit before that. And it will start in just the beginning of looking at what we've done the past couple of years, what other people have done out there, what's kind of been resonating. Um, and it goes right through. There's a real cycle that we follow and I mean like everything you set the deadlines you say we're going to have this by then and it never works out that way so <laughs> it's a very fluid process <laughs> so when you say you look at what you've done previously what kind of things are you looking for from that honestly you're looking at what worked and what didn't and I think when you're at that beginning standpoint it's the time to be really honest and go okay having seen some of the audience surveys having got some feedback from speakers having spoken to some of our sponsors what did they like and what really just didn't work for them and maybe for them was like that was not my favorite part of the event I don't want that again and you almost start tallying that up and saying okay I'm going to steer away from this or you look at you know the past year that we've had and say all right people really are sick of this topic if I need to avoid one thing I'm probably not going to talk about that as much. Is there anything particularly bad that comes to mind from previous events or have you uh, banished those memories? <laughs> always banishing the bad memories um, I actually joined the company right before the first lockdown so I joined about six weeks before so the funny thing for me is I haven't actually been to one of our live shows I've been to other past company shows I've run other events but my actual event I haven't seen it in person which is so weird because I'm on the phone to people who are like yeah I've come for five years and I'm like that's great that's really cool I wish I was you <laughs> but it's kind of I think the benefit is I kind of come at it with fresh eyes. So it means when I'm looking at it, I can be significantly more objective because I wasn't involved in that creation process. I don't feel the same affinity to what was done years before. And I can kind of go, okay, maybe we do want to pull that out. I think like every event, you go through cycles and there are times that you probably put more effort into one area and less effort into others because you're having to spread your own resource. And I think the only thing I 
would want to always pull out from events is wherever it's not resonating as much as it should with an audience. Like I really like to pull things back into the people and I love to see more collaborative sessions. I like to put people together who wouldn't normally be there or different brands you wouldn't normally see talking about a topic. And I just like people in different engaging ways to actually just discuss what makes it work for them, what they kind of get wrong, what their experiences are. I do think in the past we probably did more static presentations and that's just not really my vibe for how I like information to be put across. I think there's definitely a place for presentations, but when there's too many, I don't know about you, but I start to switch off really quick. Yeah, I think one of the things that, you know, the audience will appreciate is the fact that, you know, no two presentations are alike and and no two panels are alike. Mm. And there's like a good and a bad way of doing each of those things. I've seen panels previously where the person running the panel, the chair, hasn't maybe really understood their role and it's just been a bit of a free for all. And equally, I've seen panels that have been really well chaired and they've been able to pass the questions backward and forwards as long as they're interesting. And I, I personally like panel sessions where you can try and get a point across to the audience. And then if there is something that you missed, another panelist can add it in and that's beneficial to the audience. Or if there's some nuance that you didn't get across clearly enough, you know, maybe the, uh, another panelist will bring up some detail and you can say, oh, no, let, let me, you know, elaborate on what I meant mm-hmm. and have that um, that conversation that you just don't get from a 60 minute stand and give like lecture style uh, audience presentation. Yeah, definitely. And I think that to and fro and actually those little kind of nuggets of wisdom that you walk away and go, oh, they really like sticking your mind as I'm going to use that myself. I found they often come from people being reminded of something when they hear another panelist talk and they go, do you know what? We tried this and actually for us, this worked or this didn't. And then you go, oh, perfect. You've almost just elevated the question we originally asked. Yeah, definitely. I've seen um, some events as well have maybe a series of talks and then at the end they'll have the speakers on for a panel and as a speaker mm. I've always really enjoyed those because it's it's better than just a straight Q&A and also you can you bring a wealth of experience to the answer then it's not just a single person's point of view. It's so true and I think that really ties it all together you then almost can storyfy those presentations because something that's difficult is when you're trying to do an event and cover so many big big topics you really can't hit on everything and it's hard to get a narrative going where one topic feeds into the next and it all makes sense as a flow. And I'll be honest, there are times I definitely don't hit the mark with that. But it is great when you can kind of pull it together and you almost hit like your closing session and you're like, oh, it all makes sense. It's like your series finale where all like the stories tie together and you're like, oh, and that was that twist and turn. But um, in an ideal world, it doesn't always work. So how do you do that? How do you pull off making sure that the content is engaging to the audience when I mean, how much interaction do you have with the speakers prior and the um, exhibitors prior to the actual event? A lot. (laughs) Spend a lot of time talking to a lot of people, which is my favorite part of my job. So I'm quite happy with that. But um, it's twofold. So I think the first part is we do a lot of research calls for an event of our size. We're looking at about 200 calls specifically to ask people, what do you care about right now? What are you finding most difficult in your work? And where do you need a little bit of support? And what we then try to do from that is tally up, okay, what are the most consistent themes? What are the topics that get people on a soapbox? Those for me are the ones I bold and underline and I'm like, right, that's a panel right there. Um, And I look out for things where people are saying, I want to talk about this more, but I don't really know how. And that I find in cyber tends to bring about a couple topics. I find people at the moment are saying, I want to chat about attribution, but I don't really know how it fits into things. I don't really know if I want to be 
figureheading that debate right now. And even people are saying, you know, I want to talk about security awareness and storytelling in cyber, but it's over talked about at this point and I kind of need it to make a lot more practical sense. So those are the things I'm like noting down. And it's almost then when you're in the process of getting your speakers and exhibitors, it's a refinement of what you've discovered. So it's then saying to them, how do you package that into a session and figure out who's a good person for this, who complements the discussion, who actually has a piece of technology and can talk about how it works. And then in the run up to the event, it's can I get these people in a room to chat about it beforehand and feel comfortable with one another? Because that prep moment of a briefing call where they understand the assignment and they have that prep and can say, all right, I know what this person's vibe is. I know where I fit into the discussion. I know what I'd bring to the table. Then the delivery of that content is significantly stronger than if you put people on a stage who've never really met each other. Yeah, I definitely get that from the panel side of things where sometimes panels, I think, I want to put this politely, but it's like sometimes they can agree with each other too strongly. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. And I mean, you've done panels with us and we had you specifically on a debate. The amount of times I think both me and Lisa, who was our chair for this session, were just saying, you're allowed to disagree. Like, just come in. And it's so hard because someone makes a great point. And I think our natural instinct is to be like, oh, that's such a good point. And the confirmation bias goes in your head and you're like, I agree with that. Therefore, I'm going to compliment it. And sometimes it's like, you don't have to. You can say, actually, I think this arrived in this. You were fantastic at that. I think you're so good at keeping people on their toes. And that's why I noticed in our panel that you were kind of just batting away things and going, well, I'm going to disagree here and actually point out that. And I was just laughing behind the scenes. I was like, go on, Holly. Yeah, if you don't uh, disagree through through a panel session or through a, a discussion about a certain technology or a certain solution, you, you miss some of the details. So it would be very easy for somebody to say, you know, and pose the question, oh, how do we solve security? And somebody to give an answer like, you should all use strong passwords. And the problem with a statement <laughs> like that is like, everybody is going to agree with that. Yes, if we are going to use passwords, we should use strong ones. But I think people need to, to look at that uh, as a broader topic. It's like, well, why aren't we using stronger passwords? What are people struggling with? Why isn't this a complete solution? And try and try and work around the edges. That isn't in necessarily disagreeing with the person who made the statement. It's just trying to broaden the conversation out a little bit more from that is a good statement. Continue to say the good statements. <laughs> Definitely. I always think you can agree on the principle and the idea, but the best place to disagree is on the application. You're all going to have done it in different ways. So tell tell other people. Don't let them sit there and go, oh, this works. And they've done it one way. And they sit there and go, oh, well, that won't work for my company. If they've got five different ways it's been applied to choose from, they're going to walk away with at least five more options than they came in with. And that for them as an audience is a significantly better experience. Yeah. Or even if it is good in practice and you had a good experience with it, it's like, let me tell you the lessons learned. Mm. Maybe even if we got to a good result with this, it's like, can I help you get there faster? Yeah, definitely. I just think sometimes you do just have to set up the session in a way where it's clear that that's the aim of the game. Like calling it out as a debate just helps because people are so nice. And I think they want to agree and they want to support someone else who's also public speaking, which can be a little bit nerve wracking and say to them, no, you're doing great. And I agree. And you're like, I think if you almost frame it in the right way, you give them a bit more freedom to go, you know, have a good antagonistic moment, be difficult. How do you handle people who are uh, new to speaking then? Maybe you've got somebody involved because they're working on an interesting area of research or something like that, but they've they've never been on a panel before or they've never given a, a talk to a big audience before. I pull in quite a lot of new speakers. I think because I try to reach out to people I see on LinkedIn or someone who might have commented something cool or I ask people for intros. 
And I don't think you need to have done it a lot to be good at it. I really think if you can have a conversation, you can speak. I'm not saying go straight in with a PowerPoint and, you know, assume that you're going to rock a main stage and it's going to be perfect. It won't. It takes a lot of time to reach that level. But when it comes to like a fireside chat, when it comes to a discussion, when it's a panel, all you have to be able to do is give an opinion. And if you can do that with one person, you can do that with a big room. It just it's sometimes overcoming those mental barriers that sit in your head and make you think, oh, I can't do this. I don't know enough about this area. And I always find that my role as a producer sometimes is just to give that bit of reassurance. And if it means a couple extra phone calls or if it means saying, you know, will you be more comfortable if you come a little bit early and see the stage? Or if we do an extra briefing call with a few of the panellists or I make sure we prep a few things with the chair to go to you and we flag in advance. These are areas you're best at. Sometimes people don't realise that on the production side, we really get it. And I really appreciate the people who put themselves forward, especially when they're nervous, because it's such a good growth moment for them. And yeah, there's so much support that's out there. And I think it's, it's always so much less scary once you just do it. Yeah, I think that everybody uh, experiences these things differently. Very often people ask, you know, do I get nervous before doing public speaking and things like that? And and I do, but I often feel that I get nervous in ways that are different to other people. I tend to be nervous a few days before mm-hmm. the event and I'll be thinking through my content and should I add this or should I change this? Or sometimes it's just timings, you know, am I spending too much time talking about this thing? Whereas just before I go on stage, usually by that that point, I'm I'm fine. I know my content, I know what I'm talking about and I've been on stage before. Whereas other times you see people kind of standing at the edge of the stage looking like they're about to have a heart attack because they're nervous at the size of the audience or something like that. Oh, that deer in headlights moment. I always just say (laughs) three deep breaths. Just take three deep breaths, sit down. You really can't back out now, so you're going to have to just get through it. (laughs) That's the only thing I can tell myself. I'm like, oh, you're really committed now, so (laughs) may as well smile and get on with it. Does that help anyone going to them just before they deliver a talk and going, it's too late now, you're going to have to do it? Yeah, you'd be so shocked. I genuinely think that weird anxiety moment is that, you know, three steps you take to get onto the stage. And you just need someone to sometimes give you a little push and be like, you can do it. Just take the next step and yeah. you're fine. I think very often with, with these kinds of things, people worry about what could go wrong as opposed to just mm-hmm. accepting the fact that like something probably will go wrong and you should prepare yourself to deal with that from, you know, throwing a coffee at your laptop to falling off the stage you know you can you can style through these things oh it's so true and also you kind of do have to sit there sometimes and tell yourself of all the things that can go wrong there's a lot of things that can't you're more than likely not going to fall off a stage your chair is not going to break you're not going to embarrass yourself you may be going to stumble over a few words or forget to mention a point that you want to do and that's it yeah so what kind of problems do you have from from your side of things then? We've, we've talked about speakers who might be nervous before they go on stage or forget slides and things like that. But from, from your side as a producer, what can go wrong for you? Okay, there's, there's a lot more things that can go wrong on my side of things. <laughs> Everything from people not turning up to panelists not really gelling to AV issues, people being in the wrong stages. It's a big event. I mean, I have 19 stages at our event in October. and you know, it's it's a big place to be. Someone can get lost very easily. Um, so I think there are all those things. And there's a lot of moving parts to a big event. It's why there's so many of us in the team on site kind of keeping things going throughout the day. Um, and I think kind of in the run up, sometimes it can be that you have a great idea and you think, oh, this is awesome. And then you can't do it because 
either you don't have the space, you don't necessarily have the money to do what you want to do, or you might have a topic that you think would be awesome, but people just won't put themselves forward for it. And you then kind of end up with an unbalanced panel or you kind of say, oh, this isn't really what I was looking for. I think it is all those elements that come together and you go, there's a lot of small things that can become bigger things on the day. Yeah, I can imagine uh, people not turning up or turning up to the wrong place are, are frustrations. Yeah, there have been some some in my past roles, <laughs> not in this company, thankfully. Um, but I've I've had speakers go to the drinks on day one and not make it to their session on day two. Yeah. <laughs> For the benefit of the audience, I pulled quite the face at that. <laughs> yeah, that is um one of the things, certainly with, with the really big events that like I make a habit of doing is like as soon as I get to the event, just going and telling the the, the people it's like, I'm here, I know which stage I'm going to. I'm totally chilled out about this, don't worry. You see sometimes, you know, the, the the handlers and things like running around pretty frantically. Yeah, I mean, we're so lucky as well. And the way that we do things, we normally have a speaker team. And me and my boss, Harry, just constantly refer to them as our lifesavers. Like they just run the show because they're the people who log everyone in. They make sure people are where they need to be. They've got everyone's contact details known to man. And um, it's just brilliant. It's so good to have that extra pair of hands who are just really good at it and almost just take it all in stride so you can kind of divert that mental energy somewhere else. So you've mentioned many of the problems from a physical event point of view with people going to the wrong stages and things like that, but what are the differences with running virtual events? Do you know what? It's not that different. People don't show up. (laughs) People (laughs) can't connect to the virtual green room. I've had many times where people do a tech check on one laptop in one environment and then they go to a completely different place with a brand new laptop or headset and none of it works. Um, We're just pretty much, I have the most wonderful video team who are in the back end, just calling them, trying to walk through like a fix for it. We've gotten very good at blending people in midway through and then tech issues. I mean, even on this, we're seeing my own internet connection not hold up. I had that live happen the other day in the middle of hosting a session which you never want to lose your internet as the chair. That is just the one moment you go, oh, I could really do with being on a stable internet line. And um, I completely lost it, which means I dropped out. And thankfully, we'd prepped in advance with my two panellists and they wanted a really chatty, casual conversation. And one of them just stepped up to plate immediately and just threw a question out. And I was like, I've never been so pleased to have done prep for this because he was amazing and covered for me. And it meant that I was like, oh, I'll just jump back in in the end. And you know, you kind of make it work. And I think people are really great at understanding their own issues with like internet and connectivity. And as long as the audio is good, most people don't mind um, and are very, very understanding, which is fantastic. But yeah, it's funny how similar issues seem to crop up both live and virtual. Yeah, it is. Uh, it's funny because I remember doing the like the tech check for, for one of your events virtually and it, and it took about 15 seconds. It's just yeah, like so the the techies just like, I can hear you. I can see you. Camera's good. Microphone's good. Headset's good. Thank you. And that was it. But it is so funny how long it takes to get people to book those in. And I have a spreadsheet which tracks it on their mm-hmm. end. So I know who hasn't booked. And I'm just constantly email chasing like, please, please, please today. Just just please book it in. <laughs> and then like, oh, I'm, I've done it. I'm like, you haven't. <laughs> I can see. <laughs> I know that can be a difficulty sometimes if you've got um, two events that are close to each other and they're both virtual. Sometimes you've yeah. done a check check for one, but you can't necessarily remember which one. <laughs> I know. And like our guys are great. They're so flexible with things and they do everything in 15 minutes up because we always say like you book it for 15 minutes, but I'm like, it takes two minutes max. I've done it myself yeah. so many times. So 
so quick when it when it works <laughs> when it works but it's it's good though because we do tend to see if I have say 40 speakers for a virtual event you only tend to have issues with two maybe and more than likely it will be you know someone's headphones aren't compatible or they've maybe got a block on their system they just need to email IT so it's never something that can't be fixed thankfully yeah and it's definitely better to find those things out before yeah the, the thing <laughs> yeah. from from my point of view as, as a as a speaker is usually just like how do I get to the right place so even with like mm-hmm. a physical event it's like before I talk where do you want me to physically be because <laughs> some events want you to go to like the speaker bar some want you to go to the stage others want you to meet a certain person and it's the same with virtual events with so many different platforms being available it's like how do I get to the place you expect me to be <laughs> Oh, yeah. When we were trying to figure out, okay, what platform do we want to use? One of the biggest selling points for us, which what we picked, which is Stream 7 as our streaming service, is that all the speakers have to do is click a link. You just click a link, you're in the green room, and then our editor handles everything. And that for us, I was like, I really want to make this headache free. I don't want to be that person who's saying, learn a completely new platform for a 40-minute session. That seems like such an excessive obligation to put on someone's time. I just wanted it to be nice and easy you had someone who's in your corner who's like looking out for everything and for us it just reduces the headache too it makes life so much simpler on my end i think now everybody has experienced that with like trying the the amount of video calls that people are doing at the moment i think everybody's experienced like the full range of technical difficulties that you can have oh yeah the the video fatigue is real some days yeah i love um whenever i do events you always get an email from uh, i guess from one of the producers that is like please use Chrome and please arrive at this time and please click these buttons. <laughs> you are calling out the calendar invite I sent you, which says that exact phrase at the top. And then it's also, and call me with any issues. <laughs> yeah, and ends politely. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's shocking that you you have to just kind of reiterate those same points because you are just like, they are the cause of 90% of the tech issues is someone just not using Google Chrome. I'm like, save both of us the trouble. Please use it. <laughs> It's just like, whatever you're going to use, just test it works before the show. I know. It is funny, though, when you think about how easy it is to forget those testing elements. I think that's so much more of an issue than when you're live, because live, you just have to show up and speak. There's nothing you really need to prep. You don't have to come a day early and like all sit there in the exact position you're going to be there with your headset in. Um, But when you're virtual, those little checks just make everything run smoothly. And if you don't do them, oh, it is. It's not a fun day. Yeah. So I think we've been talking about the the horror stories of events, both physical and virtual, for a little while. If somebody was interested in delivering a talk or being on a panel at an event like yours, and maybe they've they've never done it before, you know, they think they've got an interesting topic, but they've never spoken to a group. What kind of advice would you give them for, you know, diving in and, and giving it a go? I'd say find your platform first. So... The good thing about our event is that we have so many stages, which means that if you have a specialism and it's within the digital transformation enterprise IT wing, we probably cover something within it. There are so many events out there that you almost like wouldn't expect to cover topics that you want to. And there are a ton of community events. I always think meetups and like B-Sides is incredible. I love the work that they do are great routes in to actually try something new. And it's a funny one because I think sometimes people will veer towards a community event or a meetup or somewhere to start off and maybe think that they're not ready for a bigger scale event and it's not necessarily true and you always can reach out to the producers I always think for the bigger events you can go on their websites we normally have a contact us form you can tend to figure out who the producer is like drop me a message on LinkedIn 
if someone knows me, I'm always happy to be introduced to people. But I think getting to talk to someone who is an organizer of a smaller event or a bigger event and who can give you a little bit of advice of how to get things started and maybe say to you, you know, join a panel on this. Maybe if we do like drinks, you can talk within there. There's going to be avenues where you can give it a go. And the best thing you can do is just put yourself forward for a conversation. I always think kind of maybe don't start off with a presentation. If you have a concept idea, definitely do share that because for me, that kind of shows me not just what your current job is, but the way that you approach a topic Mm -hmm. or the way that you kind of, the viewpoint that you have, the perspective you want to give. It's always really interesting to know what people are most interested in um, and how they feel that their job applies to like, you know, the audience that they want to speak to, but maybe put yourself forward for a discussion or a panel first ease yourself in a little bit softer than a straight up presentation where you know you've got all eyes on you and just you for maybe 20 30 minutes which can be a bit intense yeah i think another thing as well is pick an event where the length is appropriate it's like if you think of (laughs) stand-up comedy i can tell a joke but i couldn't stand on a stage for an hour and a quarter and do stand up Mm -hmm. so it's like for your first talk you know some events do uh, lightning slots and they'll do like 15 minutes or something like that it's like that's a lot easier to to try it than finding yourself on stage and you've got an hour to fill yeah definitely and something I really like to do is try and get involved with more community groups and when I do I always say to them if you've got sessions put people forward who maybe haven't spoken before so if you're involved in those groups do speak to them about who they're partnering with we have quite a few where I'm saying okay I'm going to block out these three sessions just let me know the topics and the people and then I can kind of offer support and a bit of mentoring or you can also say I mean and I really do suggest people do this for me especially is if you see someone who's on my program or there's someone you'd really want to meet or someone you know is a good speaker, ask for an intro. It's so easy for me to say, you know, this is this person, they'd love help with this. Everyone loves a compliment. There's nothing nicer than hearing, I've heard you speaking, you're incredible, how do you do it? And you can hear from someone directly in your industry who, you know, is maybe a few steps further along the journey than you in the speaking cycle who can actually say, oh, you know what? This is a really good tip. This doesn't work, don't try that. And just gonna give you a bit of, boots on the ground advice (laughs) so taking us back to putting these events together Mm -hmm. how do you balance what the delegates the exhibitors and the speakers all want to get from your events oh it is a hard balance (laughs) um it's difficult one i think the only way to do it is to go delegate first and it's the only way that really works is to actually think well what do the audience want because that's how the people who present and speak will get the most from it anyway People might think, oh, I really want this for me, but actually what they really do want is to deliver a good presentation or a good session and to connect the people who are there. And you can't do that if you're not thinking audience first. So I think that's the route that we take first. There's probably two elements after that, which on the speaker side is understanding, you know, are there certain industries you want to be positioned against or certain speakers you're really intrigued by that you want to stand against are you looking for a certain setup within the panel so sometimes people actually say you know I'd love to see more of a blend of if they're in finance maybe they want someone from retail and they want someone from the public sector as well or maybe they want a really interactive chair they want to do a super engaging session or they have a story they want to tell and they actually want to find the right format so with the speakers you're really looking at the delivery side of things With the exhibitors, sometimes it's helping them translate what they want to say into what the audience want to hear. And I think there is that kind of mindset sometimes of we know what we're doing so well and we can tell our story in this narrative of input this tool, deliver this result, have this outcome. And sometimes it's finding the right translation 
into an actual audience challenge so it's not just we did this for this person it's you're struggling with this too this is what we found works you know you could learn from this because it trying to build that bridge and that's a bit of an education journey from our side is just trying to help people tell that brand story a little bit better and in a smarter way rather than just telling you every new product feature they have which I don't think anyone ever wants to hear (laughs) I can see Holly just shaking her head now (laughs) well it's it's really easy for me so I work in cybersecurity testing of course so like whoever is in the audience it's like I can just tell you a really interesting story about hacking things and if you are looking to procure you know um, software-based security testing penetration testing something like that then you know that we sell those services and if you're not then talking about hacking is cool and that's always something that I, (laughs) I wonder about from Uh, things like software vendors points of view where it's like how do you talk about your problem space without it sounding like a sales pitch and also from your side of things as a producer how do you balance the number of sales pitches that you've got on the stage oh that is again another one I think looking at some of the traditional elements of our event I don't think we've necessarily balanced it successfully in the past I think every event goes through ebbs and flows and when you have different producers producing the event they will have different ideas of what they want to see or what they're interested in and For me, I would rather go content first and then bring the software vendors in to add to that conversation to give really good case studies. Because oftentimes they are in a really good position to actually say, this is how it's working across all of these different sectors. This is actually in the implementation process where a lot of people mess up and we have to come in and help out. And that type of information is so valuable. And for a discussion, it really broadens the scope of what you can talk about. And that's where, you know, they're so useful. But when you have just those straight software presentations, it's where you lose some of the value. And I think it's trying to find the balance of a stage where you almost sit there as a producer and go, I would attend this all myself. I would find value in every session on this. And I always have to sit there like for our big keynotes, we program that completely now ourselves. People don't get a say in those topics because I want those to be the direct result of conversations I have. Every topic then is saying, this is what someone has said to me if I want to hear. And these are people I think would be great to say it. And I might have less control over other stages where it's a case of I can only offer some guidance on topics or I can try and work with you on your session to develop it a bit further. And, you know, I think life is a balance with these things and you're not always going to be successful on every element. And it's as a producer, sometimes it is accepting that, okay, I can fight this battle and win and maybe I just have to accept it here. But I do think the great thing about almost going to a virtual world is that people have realized that the only content that resonates is content that's interesting. And whereas before they might have had a captive audience for whatever they wanted to say, now that's not true at all. The market became so saturated with virtual content that the things that stood out were the ones that were different, were taking a new stance, were bringing people together and were more of a conversation. And the other types of topics that were maybe much more static, which were slightly more boring, just didn't stand the test of time. And People have really learned a lot from that. And I think hopefully across events, across, you know, the full spectrum of IT and cyber events, you'll start to see that more and more of people bringing fresh ideas and actually leading with an audience first mindset. Yeah, that that's good to hear, but so understandable in terms of balancing the, the sales pitches, because, you know, a lot of companies want to engage because they have products to sell and that's fair enough. But, yeah. you know, you gotta you got to make it interesting still. I know. And it's such a hard one, but... People are getting better at it. And it it is just that element of one thing I always want to say to brands is you're so much more than your product. You're not just a tool. 
Like your business wouldn't exist if you just were. If you were a plug and play tool, I don't really think you'd have the same resonance as if you were actually a business partner who's helping people throughout a journey and helping them figure out how best to run their own operations. That's the value you bring to them. That's the value you should really be showcasing. People don't care about your features. They care about what it's going to be like to work with you. Yeah, definitely. How do you keep the audience engaged with virtual events? What I'm getting at here is in a physical event, there's so much going on and you sit down and you listen to a talk. And then as you stand up at the end of the talk, you see something else that catches your attention and you move off to that. Whereas for virtual events, it's it feels to me like there's a lot more potential for the audience to think, oh, I'll just go get a snack or I'll just make a coffee. And then you, you lose that engagement. So how do you keep them focused? It's hard. And I think the biggest learning on our side is less is more. We tried something out in September where we did three days of content and it was nine to five and it was too much. (laughs) We just did too many sessions. We wanted to cover too many things. We had loads and loads of on-demand content. It's that classic like choice paradox of if you have too many options in front of you, you just don't know where to go. And we've just found it significantly better to narrow down and go, okay, these are our core areas that we enjoy, that people are interested in. We do quite a few like insight surveys across the course of the year where we say to people, what do you actually want to hear And in these subcategories, what should we focus on? And we just narrowed it down and went, well, we're only going to talk about that. And we're not going to have a single presentation because that doesn't work for us virtually. And instead, we want a balanced panel where we say, okay, we have a nice group of people who all come at it from a different perspective and who are all interesting in their own right. And that's what I like to bring together for ours. So our virtual sessions, yeah, we have five sessions a day now. And in general, I think because we now approach it as we cover all of these areas, The obligation for me isn't that you attend for the full day. If you're in cybersecurity, if I have three cyber sessions, attend the three, attend one if that's the real topic you're interested in. But I don't feel like our audience feel that they have to come all day, every day, or that's the expectation from us. I think everyone is so busy right now. You almost have to very carefully decide with your own time what's going to be worth it. And then an engagement front, it's just kind of, I think, hitting the nail on the head with the topic sometimes. Like we work quite hard to do a lot of prep to make sure that our sessions actually deliver on what they promise and that they are quite practical. They're giving, you know, good advice. They're talking about the kind of challenge element of it rather than just over explaining the general state of the issue. Um, And I think that helps a lot. And we've definitely seen from this approach that our viewer times are just improving and improving and people are staying for the full session time, which I think is the biggest mark for engagement. Whether they're leaving in the middle to make a coffee, I don't mind. I fully support a tea break in just all elements of life. So if you need to do that, you do it. So thinking about physical events, one of the things that, you know, is always a a key aspect for me when I'm attending events as opposed to speaking at them is Holcon. Mm -hmm. The the idea of of networking with people, going to an event, not only Mm -hmm. to see the talks, but at the end of the talks to have things like drinks or a networking session or, or, or catch up with people in a less formal setting. Do you think that virtual events are missing the networking aspect? And and if yes, how how do you address that? I think they are, but I don't think they should deliver it. I take the stance of virtual events are for content delivery. They're not for networking. I don't think it works virtually. I can see there are times when like it makes sense. Almost the same way if you have like a Twitch stream or you're watching something live and you can put comments in or you're on an Instagram live, you can put comments and it feels like more of a community vibe and you can maybe respond to it. In that instance, it works. I think like the Cyber House Party did it really well when it's a YouTube stream and they do that. I know the Unintelligent Awards had elements that like those different type of community events for me are where you can do networking. You can have collaboration moments. You might be able to get like a Twitter stream going. And I think that 
they're a good fit for those elements. I think the kind of technical side that we sit on where it's a bit more, you know, the strategy of what you're doing, we do content best and that's what we will continue to do. But when we've tried networking, it just doesn't resonate. And it's, it almost virtually can feel more awkward and you never want someone to have that experience during their day of, oh, I feel like either I'm talking to an empty room when you're not, or you're kind of just shoved into a room with different people. I've, I know kind of across Clarion Group, which we work within that people have tried out a bunch of different things and some have worked better than others. We've had people who've done um, like different chat rooms where you go in, it's different people and they've done like video elements, which has worked really well. They've done round robin meetings. People have done kind of like Zoom coffees or they've done some experiential things where it's a smaller group and they've done like a cocktail making class. It, It just takes a lot of work. And I think you almost have to make that decision of is that something we really want to do in this virtual environment and do people have the time for it and if not just go okay that's maybe a real life thing and it's fine yeah it definitely in my experience is impacted by how is the content put together and how is it produced as to what Mm. what possible networking options you have so you mentioned the cyber house party and the artificially intelligent awards both of which i was involved in and the benefit there and why it worked that we could have the chat room alongside it was the content was pre-recorded. Yeah. <laughs> so I um, chaired one of the panels, but then I could join in the chat whilst the panel was going along. So as people were engaging with content and things like that, we could um, talk about it. But in my experience, that doesn't work where you deliver content live and then you just have a networking section at the end. I find you know people drop out or sometimes you just get thrown into a room with 40 other people and there's no mechanism for, for people to feasibly talk because there's so many people or there's no structure to it. So it is interesting to hear you say content not networking because that, that is it's my experience as well as like that is the benefit for virtual events is just, you know, efficient delivery of content. <laughs> yeah, I think efficient delivery of content. And I really enjoy that it's kind of whenever you want to watch it. We like to do all of our sessions live and it's just it's been our preference for a while i've seen other people do it successfully on demand um, and i think it's great if they can go that route i just prefer the energy of live i think people are different when they know there's an audience listening in and occasionally you'll have a great comment that you can feed through to a chair that you know sparks the discussion a different way and it's nice to have that i think sometimes if you are on demand you lose a little bit of the energy of an event and yeah. that discussion but you know there are benefits to both sides with everything but yeah it's networking on virtual is not for me I think even personally having attended so many virtual events now I don't enjoy it myself which I do wonder does if that clouds my judgment with it if I'm saying <laughs> but um I hope that we've been quite objective with it I think we're, we're quite happy with the style that we have and I think for us leading with the content side of things just makes it more flexible as well it means that you can just log in and watch it anytime if you want to catch up on a weekend like we keep everything available we now have this huge repository of virtual content that we've done that is just open access on like our Bright Talk and our DTX 360 website. And you can just watch it anytime. It makes life a bit easier. You know, there might be a chance that you say, oh, I really want to catch this session, but you can't always do it in the time frame. Or I have definitely been that person where I've made every intention to go watch something and then seven new meetings have been put in my week. And I'm like, well, can't do that anymore. Yeah, I think anybody who works in IT has had one of those, like, you can you can sometimes even physically go to an event and get there and then something happens and there's something <laughs> something to handle. Even working on the, you know, the cybersecurity side of things where it's like we don't necessarily have production systems to handle and we don't mm. necessarily have our own users to handle. It's like, well, still customers can, can have issues that they want help with and you want to help them out where you can, even if you're about to sit in an audience. I've got a, a challenging question for you potentially here. 
Um, why are cybersecurity events important? It's funny because when I was being recruited for this role, my boss asked me the same thing. And I think my answer then is probably the same now. I go to events because I like to know that I'm not facing an issue alone. And I always like to think that there's someone else who's doing the same job as you who might be doing something better or has something that you could input in or just could help you figure out an issue that's maybe been like weighing on your mind. And that to me is where events are best. I mean, I'll be honest, love a good free pen, love a bit of swag. It's something great about seeing like a really cool keynote in person that you wouldn't get to see otherwise. But for me, it's always been that element of you feel a lot less alone when a problem's shared. And I think if you look at certain types of roles and especially cybersecurity, it's such an intense environment and there is so much pressure put on people. And it always seems to me that resources are stretched and it's hard to kind of communicate in a business. That to me is kind of the industry that needs more support the most and potentially isn't getting it throughout the business. So if you can then go to somewhere, whether that is a bigger event, whether it's a community meetup, whether it's something small and local, it will just help you approach the day-to-day better and probably feel a lot better about your own work. Yeah, I think that's the the thing for me with going to events. It's, you know, it's very rare for you to be the only person trying to solve a problem. And, you know, if you're currently working through something, then then hearing other people's experiences is great. And sometimes it can just be, you know, something that you're not doing now, but in the near future, you, you might be. And to, to hear kind of the challenges that other people have faced and, and how they're kept things going and, and solved those problems is, is always interesting, even if it's not uh, an immediate for you. Yeah, definitely. And there are so many people you can meet at an event that you probably would never come across otherwise. And I've certainly done that at events where I've been like, oh, I'm so surprised like this person is now on my radar or that I know like this type of company. And um, it's quite fun. I think it, it just like broadens your own spectrum of, you know, the work that you do and the field that you work in. Yeah, definitely. So I have run out of questions. Does that mean that we have effectively summarized the entire event space? Do you think there's anything that we missed? (laughs) I don't know. Big question. Um, Can I ask you a question? Go ahead. What do you want to come back in live events when they're here? And what do you really not want to see? Uh, for for live events, the the thing that I like the most is is the networking side of things. So it's making sure that uh, an event um, has the ability to have those networking um, sometimes events just have like talks back to back with short breaks in the middle where you basically only have enough time to get to the bathroom and get coffee you know networking <laughs> is not going to happen just by having lots of people in a room you know you have to kind of uh, en- enable it to to happen in whatever way um, that is definitely something that um, I'm looking forward to and on that the thing that I uh, would would love to see not necessarily go away, but just have an alternative to it is an awful lot of cybersecurity events. The networking is in a bar and not everybody drinks. So it would be great to have some kind of networking that can be around something other than alcohol, I think is definitely something that I've seen from cyber events before. Where it's like, there's no other option. Yeah, it's a difficult one. We're currently trying to look at these AI um, and machine learning like racetracks, mm-hmm. which look pretty cool. And there is um, a cyber coffee shop in the works that one of our marketers has dubbed Bean Me Up Scotty, which she's quite into. So we'll see. I think you're right. I think you kind of have to have that balance, especially during the day. I feel like drinking's great at an event, but a 10 a.m. drink yeah. is often frowned upon. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. What about you? What, what, what's the thing that you personally would, would like to, to see at events? I think I just want to see people like collaborating in person again. That's the thing I miss. I'm missing. I'm having one of those weeks where I really miss the office right now. 
Um, and I'm like, I'll take any type of meeting you want to put me in as long as I'm just 3D in person with other people. I, I'll, I'll go to whatever you need. doesn't even have to be my own company. I'll just sit there. Um, that's what I miss. I kind of, I want to see people bringing to life ideas and chipping in and collaborating. It's really fun when you get to watch it on this side of things and you get to see a topic that you thought was good actually be picked up and hear it being discussed. Things that I want to go away. Hmm. I probably want to get rid of product specs in general. <laughs> I think that's always the thing. There are so many incredible brand stories that I am desperate to tell. I don't want to talk about your product features. I want to talk about what makes you who you are. And the closer and closer we can get to that kind of ideal scenario for me, the better. And I think the stronger events will be as a whole. Awesome. So if people want to find out more about what you do, how can they, how can they learn more? Where should they go? You can either look up DTX Europe. We're going to be live on October 6th and 7th or DTX 360 will take you to our website hub. It's literally got everything you need to know. And it's very pretty because our marketers did a cracking job. Great. We'll drop those links in the show notes as well to save people having to search for those. They'll be down in the notes. And uh, thanks for being on. Thank you for having me, Holly.